Hey guys, I'm Katie. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Chills. Thrills. And Kills. And today I'm going to bring you a lesser known true crime case. You always find like the most obscure stories and it makes me so happy. <laughs> I I try. Um so as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been another podcast done on this. If I'm wrong, feel free to correct me kindly. <laughs> but a quick Google search of her name, I found absolutely nothing. Nice. So yeah. So I was watching the I think it's called The Nightmare Next Door. And it's basically just this true crime series that I don't know how well it's done, but it's introduced me to some pretty obscure cases. So, success. This is where I found that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On July 20th, 1999, the Manchester, New Hampshire Police Department received a hysterical phone call. The caller was an adult male who said he had found what he thought was a deceased infant in a waterlogged duffel bag in the, Pis- the Piscataquag River. <laughs> Oh, yikes. Yeah, yikes to the infant, yikes to my pronunciation. I'm sorry, guys. I listened to, like, six different pronunciation things on it, and it was hard. Also, I apologize for the scratching. You are inevitably going to hear in the background, my cat is being an ornery little bitch. (laughs) (sighs) Gotta love a star. Okay. The police arrived on scene in record time and made their way to the distraught man. He described what he had found for them once more, stating that he had been walking alongside the river when he noticed the partially submerged duffel bag. Curious, he went to retrieve the bag, thinking, hey, there might be something interesting inside. (sighs) Honestly, if you guys see a submerged duffel bag in the water, just don't open it. Just call the police. See yeah, something, say something. <laughs> don't touch it. And that's like anything submerged in water. A cooler, a duffel bag. Just don't touch it. It's not smart. <laughs> yeah, just awful. Okay. So, curious, he went to retrieve the bag. And that is when he discovered what he thought was the infant. Uh, he pointed the police towards the dam where he'd abandoned the bag. Using a catching pole, which is that long pole with, like, the loop on the end of it, Mm -hmm. the investigating officers fished the bag from the river and carefully looked inside. What they found wasn't an infant, but instead the headless, dismembered torso of an adult woman with a very distinctive back tattoo. Ew. On her right shoulder, the name Mary was clearly visible. No attempt to remove or distort the tattoo had been made, which I thought was really fucking wild if you go to that much fucking effort. Yeah. The police quickly identified this body as belonging to 40-year-old Mary Stetson, thanks to the tattoo and a missing persons report that had been filed only four hours prior to the gruesome discovery. Wow. Four hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, whoever did this did a real good job concealing it. Right. Wow. <laughs> that'll that'll kind of make a little more sense <laughs> as we go on. Okay. On Sunday, July 18th, 1999, so two days prior, Mary Stetson left her younger kids in the care of her oldest daughter, Tamara. 
So she had five kids. Mm-hmm. Now, she left these kids with her oldest daughter with the intention of going on a date with a man named Daryl, whom she'd met once before. As the time of their date came and went, Mary determined that he wasn't going to show up and decided to leave anyways. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she was a hardworking single mother of five, so she was not about to waste the night off. <laughs> yeah, don't blame her. Yeah, I have three cats and I would not waste the night off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she took a cab to Flo's Bar in downtown Manchester. According to Tamara... Approximately 15 minutes after Mary's departure, her date showed up at the front door. Oh, what a coincidence. (laughs) He said he'd been delayed, but still wanted to meet up with Mary and left to catch up with her. Tamara described him to police officers as being a white male with a slender build in his 20s. So, go Mary. Right. (laughs) He had, yeah, get it, girl. Uh, He had blonde, spiky hair and blue eyes. Anything beyond that would need to be discovered by investigators. She didn't even know this guy's name at this point, as far as I could tell. Okay. (laughs) Police put out a public request for Daryl to come forward and continued on with their investigation. So to start, they contacted the cab company and confirmed that Mary had in fact been picked up from her home and dropped off at Flo's bar. So no real deviation from what was expected of her, but she was nowhere to be found. Mm Mm-hmm. Photo in hand, they went to the bar to question employees and patrons. Several customers had recalled seeing Mary in the bar that Sunday, but couldn't recall who she had been with, if anyone. So that confirmation of her presence presence sent them across the street to a local business called Mike's Pub and Grub. Apparently, many locals who would frequent one place often also frequented the other. So they decided it would just be a good idea to cross the street and see if they could find anything. Okay. Look at that. Investigators doing their job. (laughs) Makes me so happy. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So at Mike's Pub and Grub, one customer recalled seeing Mary actually sitting at the bar with a white male subject who appeared to be in his 40s. And had shoulder-length light brown hair. So, not Daryl. This man had been seen in the bar before by several people, but wasn't known by name. He had also never been seen with Mary before. It was also noted, and this is like, they threw some really weird things out in Nightmare Next Door that they never really tied the, like, they never tied the strings together on. <laughs> um. So it was also noted that the man had purchased a teddy bear for Mary, talking the street vendor down from $20 to $5. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was very, very important that this be, that this be noted. Okay. <laughs> Negotiation skills. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, because this occurred in 1999, both bars didn't really have the capability to process credit cards yet. So Mm -hmm. everything was paid for in cash, meaning they couldn't use credit card statements to try and find out who this guy was. No paper trail. (laughs) Nope, not a one. And yet he still gets caught, so... Good. (laughs) At this point in the investigation, the autopsy report came back. 
From what they had, no evidence of sexual assault was found, which it's just a torso, so I don't know how they would determine. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask that question, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I just, I don't know. It's all right, then. Yeah, based off the torso, no sexual assault was found. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If somebody out there is a coroner or whatever, and you want to tell us how that's possible, please. We're curious. <laughs> yeah, we love the new information. <laughs> yes, we love learning. So Mary Stetson had been stabbed 12 times. With a knife that had a blade at least four inches in length. Mm. After her death, she was then dismembered using a handsaw. Ugh. Yeah, so real personal. God, that's so much work. I, I just can't imagine planning that out. But okay. <laughs> yeah, this episode I'm telling you right now is going to lead to a t-shirt. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Daryl decides to get his ass to the police station. It's about fucking time, Daryl. Yeah. Now, obviously, the investigating officers were immediately suspicious of da- of Daryl because, uh, you know, where the fuck were you, bro? Mm-hmm. Not only had he been the man she'd been supposed to meet up with, but he also waited for forever before coming forward. I couldn't find, like, an actual time frame of how long it took him to come forward, but it, like, everything I read and the documentary thing made it just seem like it was a really long time, like, weeks. Yeah, don't let that happen either. <laughs> yeah. Um. When questioned, he stated he waited so long because he wanted to stay out of the matter altogether. To which I noted, okay, but someone's dead, Daryl. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what? Oh, I just wanted to stay out of it. (laughs) No. Oh, my God. (sighs) The officers accept that answer, sort of, and continue their line of questioning. They asked Daryl to recount his recollection of that evening, to which he said that after speaking with Tamara at Mary's home, which, again, Tamara's Mary's daughter, for those of you who have my memory. Um, he headed straight to Flo's bar, hoping to catch her. He spotted Mary outside almost immediately because she'd been wearing the same black straw hat that night as she had had on their first date just days before. He'd been about to approach her when he noticed that she was accompanied by another man. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a bummer. Uh, when asked about this other man, Daryl described him as being white, in his 40s, and with shoulder-length, brownish-blonde hair. So, sounds an awful lot like the description given by the patron at Mike's Pub and, Pub and Grub. Mm-hmm. When asked what Daryl did with the rest of his evening, he claimed that he continued to socialize at the bar and have a few drinks without Mary before heading home. Without direct ties to the case and a clean arrest record, police let Daryl go but kept him on their list of potential suspects. And determined to put her mother's killer behind bars, Tamara actually came up with another lead for police officers. As the initial shock wore off, she recalled a a conversation she'd had with Mary. 
Apparently, Tamara's 16-year-old sister had confided in Mary that the owner of a local shop where the 16-year-old would work odd jobs occasionally had been coming on to her and had actually kissed her neck. Um, what? Yeah, fucking gross. You are a grown man and you Oof. kissed the neck of your 16-year-old employee. Disgusting. What are gross men? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, so Mary had told Tamara that she'd intended to speak with the local shop owner, Greg Howe, about the incident. So this could have potentially taken place on Sunday night. And obviously, with the, conversa- with the topic of conversation like that, <laughs> quite a possibility for things to go really, really wrong. Yeah. Which is why, just call the police instead. Just call them. (laughs) Yeah, let them handle that. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) All right. So Greg had been somewhat of a family friend as Mary frequented the store often, and both she and her kids would sometimes help with small tasks for extra money. Obviously, the news that this grown man she'd been friends with coming onto her daughter did not sit well. Oh, I would hope not. (laughs) Yeah, no, she was very protective of her kids and everything that Tamara is the only one who's gone on the record that I could find as speaking about this because I believe most of like all of her other children were minors at the time. Mm hmm. But Tamara said that she was a very good, very protective mother, so that just wouldn't be something she'd let go. Right. So, upon questioning Greg Howe, the officers noted he seemed surprised, but cooperative. He claimed to have seen her around 6 p.m. on Sunday, and that she'd bought a six-pack of beer and made some small talk with him before leaving. Police then probed deeper, stating that they knew about the incident with the 16-year-old and asked if he had been confronted by Mary about it. At this point, Greg basically brushed the whole kiss thing under the rug, as a pedophile does. Yeah. And said that the entire incident was basically nothing, a non-issue, and that Mary had been her usual bright and friendly self when he saw her on Sunday. Mm -mm. Yeah, that seems highly fucking unlikely to me, but sure. Yeah. He said that the rest of his night was spent at work. He closed up at 11, and then he went home. Before police could leave, Greg suggested that they speak to his employee, Eric Kenny. So Eric would frequently help out at the market and had been working when Mary came in on Sunday. He seemed, as you would, nervous to be questioned by police, but cooperated. He said that he saw Mary and that they spoke, She was being flirtatious with him and even asked what he would be doing later that evening. So, seriously, get it, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) This is guy three in one evening? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, fuck, take all the advantage of that night out. Mm -hmm. He said he had no plans after work, and she promised to come by around 10 to have a drink. Mm, I bet she did. (laughs) (laughs) Eric's shift ended at 8, but he stayed put hanging around until 10 p.m., which, wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
when she said he when she said she would arrive. Sadly, she never did show, and he stayed even later and helped Greg close up shop at 11, and then went home. Both Greg and Eric's alibis were confirmed, and they were ruled out as suspects. So I guess Greg and Eric kind of confirmed each other's alibi as far as the shop, and then Eric had actually, I guess he lived with family. Mm -hmm. So they confirmed that he did, in fact, go home afterwards. Okay. Just as police thought that their leads might be drying up, a phone call came into the tip line. The caller was a woman who seemed somewhat confused and a bit incoherent. She was calling about her ex-husband, who hadn't been around in a couple of weeks. She said it was unusual for him to be out of contact with her, and then also stated that she'd gone to his apartment to look for him, but he wasn't there. While she'd been there, she noticed several strange items appeared to be missing. The woman didn't really, didn't really provide many details as to why she thought her ex was missing, and they were unable to get her name before she hung up. Mm, so she just, like, broke into her ex's apartment? She had a spare key. Oh. Yeah, okay. they, I guess, based on their actual marriage, I'm very surprised, but I guess they split pretty kindly from one another and, like, stayed close. Okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever works. <laughs> Real strange. <laughs> the next morning, though, she actually called again. This time, she was speaking far more clearly and gave her name right away. Her name was Donna Plick. She was calling about her ex-husband, Vaklov. Uh, she'd stated that she hadn't seen or heard from him in two weeks, and that she had a strong feeling he'd been involved in Mary's murder. Oh, God. <laughs> Like, that is some fucking feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes. When asked why she would think such a thing, she described a violent history with Vaklov in which she'd been assaulted by him on several occasions. He'd also previously indicated that should she continue to upset him, he could cut her up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's casual. All right. <laughs> yeah. She said that he'd recently lost his job and had gone back to drinking heavily. Katie, do you want to guess what the job he lost was? Um, was he a bartender? No, he was a butcher responsible for deboning animals. Oh, God. Because it's always a fucking butcher. <clears throat> Catherine Knight. <laughs> yeah, it, bitch, I reference her later. <laughs> I literally at one point say Catherine married. I just, I, uh, blah, 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 blah. I abbreviate it now and I just go KMK vibes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we need a t shirt that just says it's always a butcher. Yeah, that would be great. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> if you guys want that shirt, send us an email. <laughs> All right, so this time around, she went into detail about the strange items she found to be missing. Vaklov apparently had a knife he enjoyed carrying around. And there was a large patch of carpet that appeared to have been cut out in his bedroom. Oh, God. Yeah. The final piece of the puzzle that convinced her Vaklov must have been involved was that he was an angler, which apparently is something to do with fishing. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't fish. I don't know if you guys fish. So, fishing. <laughs> Not only was some of his fishing gear missing, but his favorite location for fishing just so happened to be the exact location Mary's torso had been found. Not at all suspicious. Yes, it was. <laughs> Now, despite all of these extremely suspicious things, nothing directly tied him to the case. So when a phone when a phone call came into the tip line about another man who had known contact with Mary, attention was turned in that direction. This phone call came from a man named Josh Kendall. He was suggesting that the police look into a guy who goes by the name of Slim <laughs> because of okay. course he does. <laughs> Slim was said to have a fascination with knives, as he was frequently seen carrying them. The week before Mary died, the three of them had actually been at a party together. And while Slim had a thing for Mary, she'd taken more of an interest in Josh. Hmm. Allegedly, Slim actually ended up assaulting Josh due to this. And Josh was worth... Right? Right. Real (laughs) macho. And Josh was worried that Slim later killed Mary for the slight. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this girl can, like, she just, she could get it. That's all I'm, like, I imagine her theme song was My Milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Because her milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. All right. Of course, Josh didn't know Slim's real name, which might make finding him a little bit difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Or so you'd think. Uh, There wasn't too much information given about, again, how quickly this all occurred or, um, like, the search process. But he was later located at a homeless encampment along a river, living in a makeshift tent. Oh, nice. Yes, sounds cozy. (laughs) Great view, though. (laughs) Yeah, oceanfront or waterfront. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than oceanfront. You don't have to rezone every year. There you go. (laughs) Silver linings. (laughs) Silver linings playbook. Okay. Upon being approached by the police, he seemed confused, but not really threatened or angry. He kind of had this really laid-back demeanor, which is surprising. He told police that his real name was Rick Mercer. When asked about the party, he told them that he had in fact gotten a little annoyed about Mary's disinterest in him, but that he never laid a hand on her or anyone. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm, which, you know, according to Josh, he actually physically assaulted him. So, thus being why I said allegedly. He then allowed police to search his tent. And no knives or weapons of any kind were discovered. And because of that, mixed with his laid-back demeanor, police really began to question whether or not Josh's recounting of the evening was really true in regards to the assault claim. Finally, when asked about his alibi for the evening of Mary's murder, Slim quickly offered up that he'd been staying with friends for a long weekend. This alibi checked out. Yeah, so now that they've cleared yet another suspect, police decided, okay, we're going to turn back to 
the most likely suspect on our list. Vaklov Plik. When provided with a photo, they were surprised at how closely he matched the description of the male subject Mary had been seen with that night in July. And I'm just going to say here, so Nightmare Next Door would always say every single time, that fateful night. (laughs) And it was the most obnoxious thing. I could definitely see that being annoying. (laughs) They said that fateful night, I think, like six times in the one, like, I think it was maybe a 40 minute episode. (laughs) Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. It was awful. And so like. Luke was sitting at his computer with his headphones on, and he'd just hear me going, <laughs> every time. Anyways, back to not me. Um, <laughs> da, da, da. Because of this, so because of his um, resemblance to the description, as well as the time he went missing and all of the information provided by his ex-wife, police easily obtained a search warrant for his one-bedroom apartment. Upon entry, they noted that his living room appeared relatively normal, but when they entered his bedroom, normal went out the window. Next to his twin-sized bed, oh, yes, this grown man who had a job slept in a twin-sized bed. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's a deal breaker for me. All I'm going to say. So next to this bed, a large patch of carpet had been deliberately cut out. It was obvious that it hadn't been torn or worn down over time, but rather purposefully removed. Mm. Likely to dispose of evidence. Uh, Several loose carpet fibers on the floor appeared to have a red tinge to them, so never a good sign. No. Even more chilling for police officers was the presence of a black straw hat in the center of his neatly made bed. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, probably the hat Mary was wearing. Mm -hmm. Also noted in his room, and this is a throwback to the one random thing thrown out earlier, Also noted in his room was a presence of many stuffed animals. Uh, And and for some reason, one of the investigating officers felt the need to mention in this documentary that one of the teddy bears was missing an eye. Because these details are so relevant. Like, I feel like... Maybe they left out that the teddy bear he bought for Mary was missing an eye, and that's why he was able to talk it down to $5. But this is, like, purely me just guessing, because none of that was mentioned anywhere. Yeah, that's... um... It sounds sounds like they probably mentioned it, and then during cutting for the episode, some idiot didn't catch that something needed to be left in. Yeah. (laughs) But... You know, it's fine. It's it's all fine. It was an entertaining bit in a really horrible case. Yeah. Upon using Luminol, one officer remarked that the room lit up like a Christmas tree. Yikes. They noted that there was blood everywhere. On the floor, the carpet, the walls, and the bed. 
And here's where I said a real KMK situation. (laughs) And in the bedroom closet, they found a large handsaw. They also recovered several knives, bloody sheets, and some bloody towels. With everything that they found, it seemed pretty obvious that Vaclav was their killer. But obviously they had to wait for for DNA to come back, so the evidence was sent off to the lab to be genetically tested. And just days later, a DNA mat to Mary Stetson was confirmed. Yeah, really, 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 really awful. Um, On August 10th, 1999, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Vaclav Plick, which would charge him with second-degree murder. Authorities were of the belief that he had left the city, and a search was underway. Once again, Donna Plick provided the tip that allowed police to locate him in a suburb of Austin, Texas. Just gonna say, love his ex-wife. Love that for her. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they remained close, but, like, that is the ultimate revenge, is just being like, I am the downfall for your murder. That's all I'm saying. It really is. Oh, God. <laughs> Two detectives were sent to Austin, and they began working with the local police department to track him down. Once Plick was located, they found pants with traces of blood in the trunk of his car, as well as a blood stain on the back seat. Wonderful. Yeah, great guy, great guy. Mm -hmm. Initially, Plick denied any involvement in the crime, playing stupid. Of course. In police recordings, he is heard saying, I don't know, I don't know nothing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. However, investigators eventually got a confession of sorts from him. He described to police officers where they would find the rest of Mary Stetson's remains. A search with cadaver dogs occurred, and they were able to recover some remains, deeming the search a partial success. He confessed to murdering Mary and dismembering her before disposing of her body. Throughout their interrogation of Plick, police continued to try and establish a motive for the murder. It finally came after only two days. Oh, okay. Yeah, this actually went, like, relative, like, this investigation played out relatively quickly, all things considered. Yeah. The detectives determined that Mary Stetson had likely met Vaklov at Mike's Pub and Grub, where they spent a few hours drinking and chatting. I have a qualm with that first bit, though. Uh, Daryl said that he saw her outside of Flo's with Mary. Or with Mike. God damn it, with Vaclav. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how correct it is to say that she was that she met him at Mike's Pub and Grub. But whatever. Same general <laughs> idea. Uh, So they spent a few hours there drinking and chatting, and then Mary was asked to join Vaklov at his home, to which she accepted. At some point in the evening, however, Mary thwarted his advances and decided that she no longer wanted to be there, which is probably when she saw that he had a twin-sized bed. Yeah, that's probably what did it. (laughs) That's 
all I'm saying. Because if I go home with a guy and I see that he has a twin size bed, I'm noping the fuck out of there so fast. Yeah. What are you going to do? Sleep on a twin size bed with him? Like, been there, done that? And that's why it's a deal breaker for me. (laughs) Uh, God, my ex before Luke was real fun, you guys. Sounds like a great time. Hell yes, living in a room the size of a closet on a twin-size bed with another (laughs) human being. (sighs) So great. Uh, Okay, so he, when she decided that she wanted to nope the fuck out of there, he became very enraged and fueled by alcohol and a shitty personality. He brutally murdered Mary Stetson, stabbing her 12 times before passing out. Oh, okay. Yeah, cute look. When he awoke in the morning, he found Mary dead at the foot of his bed. Now, because of his profession, he determined that the easiest way to hide the evidence would be to dismember her. Of course. Of course. He moved her to the bathtub, where he then committed the heinous act. He put her torso in the duffel bag and dumped it in the river, and dumped the rest of her manes in the woods on the other side of Manchester. At some point in all of this, he cut out the carpet and disposed of that as well. No idea where, no idea when, it just happened. (laughs) So it took another year for the trial to get underway, and once it began, it took ten days and Vaclav Plick was found guilty for the first-degree murder and dismemberment of Mary Stetson on November 14th, 2000. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He remains in prison to this day at the New Hampshire State Prison for Men, and as much as I tried and I searched for like a good two hours, I unfortunately couldn't find any information about what happened to Mary's kids. Um, because they were minors at the time of her murder, it's very unlikely that they ever published anything about what happened to them, and I don't believe they've spoken out anywhere, or at least I wasn't able to find it. Um, all I'm gonna say is that I really hope that they've made as much peace as possible, and that they're living their best lives. Agreed. (laughs) But that is the end of that horrifying, gruesome murder. Fuck you, Vaclav. Um, Thank you, Donna. And sorry to the Stetsons. Yeah. Way to go, Donna. Yes. (laughs) Fuck yes, Donna. (laughs) And thank you to the police officers for doing their job and, like, actually investigating things and not fucking up crime scenes, as is way too common. And not dragging it out, dragging it out way longer than it needs to be dragged out. <laughs> yes. So as always, I'm going to put my sources in the show notes because you guys don't want to listen to them being ranted on for like ever. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a quick break, actually, and then we will be right back. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Hey, Rebecca, guess what? What? I got my heathen hippo candle in the mail today. Really? So did I. Yeah, so I got the fireside scent, and it is literally my favorite thing in the world right now. 
I got my white tea and fig scent and same. Yeah, they're amazing. Not to mention our cute little logo looks so good on the front of this candle. I 100% agree. And I just, I don't know. I want to send one to everyone. (laughs) Same. They're super affordable. They're natural because they're made out of soy. And because they're made out of soy and they're natural, they burn evenly. There's no lingering smoky smell. And they even use my favorite wood wicks. Yeah, so that nice little crackle. Oh, my goodness. Especially with Fireside, I imagine that would be so nice. Yeah, it's literally like I'm sitting next to a campfire in my cramped little studio. It's perfect. (laughs) I love it. So, guys, if you want one, there are nine fragrances, five customizable font options, or you can get some of their really fun standard label options. They have some Joe Exotic ones that are calling my name. So, if you want to buy some of these adorable, affordable candles, go to Heathen Hippo on Etsy. And you can use our little code, CTKPOD, and save 10%. Yeah, so uh, literally not seeing any reason you shouldn't do that. So, head on over right now. Like, right now. Right now, do it. (laughs) My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast, available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And we're back. (laughs) We're back for a second time, but only recording for one time because I fucked up. I can't wait to hear this episode back. <laughs> oh gosh. I you know what? I will I will volunteer as tribute to edit this one just so that you can listen to it freshly for the first time. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay, so Katie, I know what you're going to be telling us now, but tell the listeners. So I'm gonna be covering the um LaLaurie or LaLaurie mansion. Yay! My sources are Ghost City Tours, Atlas Obscura, French Quarter Phantom, Wikipedia, TripAdvisor, and New Orleans Historical. So, Also, we, we went over this in great detail the last time when I didn't hit record. Uh, <laughs> so this episode, uh, specifically this part, is a huge trigger warning for gore, detailed gore, slavery... Uh, murder and torture of children, that kind of thing. So if you're sensitive to that, sorry. Yeah, and I'll <laughs> be sure to mention when, like, the super gruesome parts come up. Um, So if you want to skip forward a few seconds. Okay. Yeah. So Delphine LaLaurie was born Delphine McCarty on March 19th, 1787. She was one of five children born to parents Louis, oh shit, Bartholomew <laughs> McCarty. <laughs> I love the, oh shit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I recorded, or I researched these two weeks ago and I listened to the pronunciations two weeks ago and pff, 
I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So if that tells you anything about my memory. (laughs) I specifically type the pronunciation up in like parentheses for that exact reason. Maybe I should do that. Okay. So (laughs) Mr. McCarty and he immigrated to New Orleans from Ireland in 1730. And her mom was uh, Marie Janine. There was, like, six different last names listed for this woman, like, in separate articles. So, her last name was either Janine or um, Layarbro. So, we're just going to call her Marie. Okay. So, Marie raised all um, five children pretty much on her own. The father, of course, um, brought home all the money, so he was never really home. Uh, everyone described Delphine as a super cheerful, sweet, friendly child, which was super surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not unlike like um, Elizabeth Bathory. Apparently, she was a great child, too, and she was a monster. So, whatever. <laughs> uh, before she became Madame LaLaurie, she was married twice. On June 11th, 1800, she married Don Ramon Lopez, who was high-ranking in the Spanish military. He was a Spanish royal officer. Um, So he was taking his family to Madrid. And while en route to Madrid, he suspiciously died in Havana. Just, like, dropped dead, gone. Um, And he was, like, yeah. He was in, like, perfect shape. He took very very good care of himself. I mean, he was a royal officer, so he kind of had to be sort of active. Um, mm-hmm. So his death was a huge shock to everyone, except for Delphine for some reason. Huh, some reason. Yeah. So days later, Delphine gave birth to her first daughter, Marie Delphine Lopez. So there's one daughter. Mm-hmm. In June of 1808, she married John Black, who was a lawyer, banker, legislator, and merchant. Cute. He bought a home at 409 Royal Street in New Orleans. Delphine gave birth to four of his children, Marie, Louise, Pauline, Louis, Marie, Laurie, (laughs) Marie, Louis, Janine, and John Pierre Palin. Can I just put out there that, like, the first name you said, I thought you were naming off all of the four kids? No. <laughs> no, and all of them have Marie in their name somewhere. Yeah, very confusing. So either okay. she was a great fan of her mother or she was trying to impress her mother. Regardless, she named all of her children after her. I mean, or she was just, like, very unoriginal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that could have been, too. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Just eight short years after they were married, John Black also died mysteriously in 1816. Hmm. Yeah, so not the greatest track record so far for Delphine. Uh, I I think it's a great track record for Delphine, a horrible track record for their for her husbands, yeah, though. That's true. So the following year in 1817, on June 25th, Delphine married her third and final husband, Dr. Leonard Lewis Nicholas Lallery. And isn't it funny how she always gets married in June? Like all three times she got married in June. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Wouldn't I feel like. That would be the worst time 
to get married in New Orleans, it, wouldn't it just be so fucking muggy? So freaking hot. So Gross. I chalk this up to she wanted to get married in June every time, so she never forgot her anniversary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that is magic. I love your theory. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> Leonard was significantly younger than Delphine, and he had two uh, – and the two had a very toxic marriage, so they were super abusive to each other. Apparently, um, there were several accounts from the children of them literally just beating the purity hell out of each other like whatever they could pick up they were hitting each other with she was known to like push him down the stairs just randomly like choke him and she was a decent sized woman and he was very very skinny and almost frail looking um so i definitely think she took advantage of her size with that but they used to beat the purity crap out of each other so that's okay they used to beat the what crap out of each other purity crap out of each other You've never heard that? Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm so confused. <laughs> okay. Must be a Southern thing. So they used to beat the crap out of each other. Is that better? No, I mean, you can keep saying it. It's just so, like, you said it so quickly. I couldn't tell if you were saying purity <laughs> or pure tea. Yeah. And so I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, that's not exactly what you want your children to grow up seeing, but it's definitely what they saw. Really? Yeah. Um, I think I want to expose my kids to as much of that as possible. Well. And if you guys listen to this at a point in the future where I do actually have children, that was sarcasm. In case you couldn't tell, don't call CPS. No, don't don't do that. Okay. Oh, gosh. So not only were they abusive to each other, they were also abusive to their children and all of her servants. And I say her servants because she hired them. She quote unquote trained them, um, gave them like their job positions. So they were tagged as her servants. Yep. Um, the home they purchased is what is now the Lellerie Mansion, located at 1138 Royal Street in New Orleans, just a few blocks away from the home she shared with her second husband. Hmm. Which is just quite interesting. But anyway. Moving on up. Yeah. <laughs> the family threw many lavish parties and invited only the most important people from their community. November 16th, 1832, Delphine petitioned for a separation from her husband. In the petition, she claimed that her husband treated her in such a manner as to live as to render their living together unsupportable. These claims were supported by Delphine's children. Of course they were. Apparently, the separation was not permanent because the doctor was present on April 10th, 1834, which is the day of the fire, which is when shit really hit the fan. (laughs) Yay! But we'll get back into that in just a minute. So, funeral registries from 1830 to 1834 showed the deaths of 12 of the the family's slaves, all of them with no official cause of death, of course. These 12 deaths included Boone, a cook, and her four children, Juliet, Florence, Jules, and Leotine. Which is just a very interesting name to me. (laughs) 
a neighbor reported the death of another eight-year-old girl who fell to her death after trying to run from Delphine, who was chasing her with a whip. Hmm. Reports state that the child was being whipped because she snagged Delphine's hair while brushing it. <sighs> yeah. This led to an investigation, as it should have, uh-huh. in which the family was found guilty of cruelty and had nine of their servants taken away. Now, they had nine servants taken away, but they had, like, 15 servants. Yeah, that's ridiculous to me. How did they determine which ones would be taken away and which ones they kept? Right. So I tried to look into that, and from what I could see, most of the ones that were taken away were, like, not children, but, like, younger. Um, mm-hmm. Like, some of them were children, but the others were, like, 18, 19 years old. So I'm not really sure why they were taken away and not, like, the elderly ones, but whatever. I mean, probably because they felt like those ones could handle more, maybe? I don't know. I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have taken the elderly and the children and left the ones who were in, like, quote-unquote, their prime. Um, But, you know, (sighs) it is what it is, I guess. Um, It was what it it was. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, so the servants were all eventually returned to the family, which was the biggest mistake that whoever returned these servants to this family could have possibly made. Yeah. On April 10th, 1834, a fire had started in the kitchen. When officials arrived, they found the cook chained to the stove. She had started the fire as a suicide attempt. Yikes. They, she told the officers that it was, she would rather burn to death than live another minute underneath their control because they were just that awful. Woof. And a fire is not a good way to go, you guys. Oh, no. It, it, that takes a very long time. You're going to die from smoke inhalation before you die from being burned alive. So that's just awful. Yeah. Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. Like that and drowning. I just, oh my god. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, of course, led to a further further investigation of the conditions of the family servants. Seven were found horribly mutilated. Okay, this is where like the super gross stuff starts. So, just warning. Um, Yay! <laughs> when they found these people, they were horribly mutilated. The limbs had been torn from the body. They were all found suspended by their neck. And when I say suspended, I don't mean like hanging. I mean like they had these ropes hanging from rafters and they would put them around these people's necks and they would be on their tiptoes so that they would not choke to death, basically. So they were like hanging just so they were barely able to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More in-depth examination showed that their eyes had been gouged out. Their skin was flayed. Their mouths were filled with feces and sewn shut. And they were all still alive. Uh, yeah. So. I should have gotten alcohol for this episode. Yeah. Another case showed a woman whose bones had been reset to re- to resemble a crab, which I was interested and I shouldn't have been interested. So apparently what they tried to do was sever the bones in the hand. So like the, what would that be? The metacarpals to where it looks like, have you ever watched American Horror Story, specifically the freak show episode or season? 
Um, obviously. <laughs> okay, you know, um, Lobster Boy's hands? Uh-huh. So that's what they made her hands look like. Oh, God. They split her hands right down the middle and tried to sew the skin so that it healed and it looked like she had claws. Um, they did the same thing to her feet, which I don't even know how one would begin to do that or how you would think of it, but she definitely did it to this poor, poor woman. Oh, my heart hurts so bad. Yeah. Another woman was found wrapped in her own intestines. There were, this is the worst part to me. There were people found with holes in their skull with wooden spoons laying near them, which were later determined to have been used as tools to stir their brains. Was that, I don't even want to ask, but I have to. Was that done while they were, like, alive or? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Which you can live through a hole being drilled in your head if it's not drilled somewhere fatal. Um, But as soon as, like, the brain is disconnected from the spinal cord, that's it. So I'm not thinking they lived a long time, but they definitely lived long enough to experience the pain of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, even more bodies were discovered, missing all of their organs, which were never found, by the way, and they were all mutilated beyond recognition. Um, Reports of these bodies show they actually thought they were remains of animals because they were mutilated so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. One man threw himself out of a third floor window to free himself from further mistreatment. The window was cemented shut and is still like that to this day. So all pictures you see of the house, there's literally one window. I think it's like there's a um, a glass window, the cement block, and then there's like three more glass windows. It is the only one in the entire building that is cemented shut like this, which kind of makes me think maybe that's the room they were kept in because why not cement all of the third floor windows if you're trying to keep people from jumping? Yeah. So, Yeah. After all of these investigations, Delphine, of course, fled. No one knows where she ended up. There are rumors that she may have packed up and moved to Paris to escape punishment for her heinous acts. There's even a copper plate claiming her death in St. Louis's cemetery in Paris. And here comes the spooky part. (laughs) If that wasn't bad enough. (laughs) It absolutely was bad enough. Thank you. So um, there have been paranormal reports for this house for at least 200 years. In the attic where most of the enslaved people were found, it has been said that you can hear crying, moaning, screaming. You can hear footsteps through the entire home regularly. And nearly all visitors report a sense of negative energy, which if you are any type of empath, I don't even know how you could walk through this house because there's... There would be so much horrible energy. That's the first thing you would pick up on walking through the front door. Like, I don't think I could do it. I don't it's even, just... th- like, I am an empath, and I don't think I could even walk across, like, walk in front of it on the street. Although, of course, I believe you're not even supposed to. Yeah, it is a private residence right now. Um, it was a museum for a little while. Didn't and Nick Cage buy it? Yeah, Nicolas Cage did own it for a little while, and I never, like, I couldn't figure out why. Like, I tried to research why, but um, there was nothing. I mean, I'm all about preserving, like, you know, historical landmarks, but can we just preserve the 
positive ones. I mean, there's not very many, but... He's trying to be the real national treasure. <laughs> well, find something else to buy. <laughs> uh, well, he can't now because he went bankrupt. Yeah, well... Maybe he got bad juju from owning this home. <laughs> but he does have a he does have a pyramid tomb, I think, in New Orleans. So Wow. Yeah. Not tomb, <laughs> tombstone. Yeah. Real cute. Anyways, sorry, I derailed Very us again. Cute. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. So several visitors have reported seeing the apparition of a young girl running across the room. Screams can be heard coming from the house at night. Before the home was turned into a museum, it was an all-girls school a music conservatory, an apartment building, and even a furniture store. It is now privately owned, so you cannot tour this house. They do stop in front of the house on, like, um, ghost tours through Louisiana, but you can't, you're not supposed to, like, take pictures, like, directly in front of the house. You're not even supposed to touch it. And you can you imagine the amount of people they have to chase away from this house? Like, <laughs> Jesus, because it's very easy to find. It's a big-ass house in the middle of... New Orleans. So. Well, not only that, the address is plastered everywhere. I mean, you announced it at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> or not the beginning, but in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Before that, it was purchased by Italian immigrants who only stayed a couple of days after being chased out of the attic by a large, screaming black man in chains with no eyes. Their description. <sighs> The entity chased the owner to the top of the stairs and then he dis- disappeared completely. Delphine herself has been spotted ho- hovering over children that have lived in the home and will even chase visitors with a whip, which <sighs> I would have a heart attack and die right then and there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, also been an appar- there has also been an apparition of a small girl jumping from the roof, and the people say that that's the child that Delphine was chasing with a whip because she did jump and died to avoid being whipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently that's the most common. You can like just see a small silhouette run and then you see her jump and then you don't see anything anymore. <sighs> Which I can't imagine seeing that. That's <sighs> horrible. Yeah. Um, a servant sleeping in the barn awoke to find a pale black haired woman choking him. A black apparition took the woman's hands off of his throat and they both vanished, vanished to the astonishment and relief of the servant. So apparently Delphine was choking a guest and one of her former, former servants saved whoever this was. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Sounds of invisible chains can be heard dragging down the staircases. Cute. Uh-huh. Terribly maimed, translucent apparitions have haunted the living, showing them scars of their torturous ordeals. A, a young Italian mother found a young Italian mother found the apparition of a wealthy white woman, later identified as Delphine herself, bending over her sleeping baby. No, thank you. Neighbors have reported windows opening and closing while no one was there, even while the home was for sale and vacant. Mm. faucets have turned on by themselves and gotten stuck the kitchen door has been seen opening and closing itself the front door has even sealed itself completely shut for as long as a week at a time so nobody was getting in the front door which to me is just a sign from the universe just don't go in that house anymore (laughs) leave it alone yeah (laughs) (laughs) Carol 
Williams, who lives on the property and takes care of the home, says that when Nicholas Cage owned the property, her daughter would clean the home. After making the bed, she would see the outline of a body laying in the dead, dead center of the comforter, even though no one was in the house. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and she also mentions there's a weird thing with the phones. The, f- the house's landline likes to dial William's cell phone all on its own when no one is in the home. So she'll be sitting somewhere randomly and her cell phone will start to ring. And from what I read, she'll answer it and she'll hear like breathing and then it'll hang up. Gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Williams was at home with a friend on a Tuesday night when suddenly the microwave in her apartment came on. Her front door flew open and the TV <sighs> started playing and her dog, a Yorkie, began barking on high alert in the direction of the bedroom and he couldn't be quieted. And she lives like on the grounds in the guest house. So she's directly behind like the main house. And if it set up anything like old plantation style homes are set up like here, the now guest houses were servant quarters. So I imagine there's probably a shit ton of activity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, every year, every year there are thousands of photos of orbs taking in front of the home. There have been a few people that say when they pull out their camera to go take a photo, they can see a black-haired woman standing on the third floor in front of a window. But when they snap the photo, she disappears. Hmm. If you Google um, the Lellerie Mansion photos, there are literally pages and pages and pages and pages of orbs. And there'll be like one person will take a picture of the house across the street and it'll be perfectly clear. And then they'll turn around and take a picture of the mansion. And it's like, you almost can't even see the house. There's so many orbs. Yeah. Maybe I'll look that up when we're done recording so that we don't curse ourselves again. Yeah. That's why I didn't save any pictures to send to you because (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Smart. Um, But that is the hauntings from the Lillery mansion. (laughs) <laughs> well, you fucking brought it this week. That is all I'm going to say. And now I have another thing to give me nightmares. So thank Yay! you. <laughs> yeah, I usually, when I've heard that on other podcasts, I usually like tune out a little bit because it's a bit much for me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that with this one. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. I will have you know that urban legend one you did, I am so we have that fridge in the garage now, and I am still afraid to turn on the light when I go out to the garage in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and I just hear, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Every time I do it, and I hate you for that. <laughs> Oh, just wait till we get to our CTKs. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <sighs> I don't want to ask, but I have to because it's our thing. <sighs> Katie, what were your CTKs this week? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm not, not even a little bit. Okay, so do you remember how I told you to remind me to tell you the truck story? I did. Uh, Yes, I did. 
Okay, so since I told the urban legend, actually, even before that, when, like, whatever story we were telling where... Velisca? Um, yeah, where yeah. I thought Stuart was home and he wasn't home. So since then, the activity in my house has definitely picked up. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I've mentioned before where Stuart has seen, like, dark shadows standing beside our bed. Oh, my God, you have, and I hate it. Yeah. Well, um, the other night was the first night that my dogs really noticed it before we did, mm. and I was dead asleep. Like, I was probably drooling. I was sleeping so hard, and all five of them all at once just flipped shit and started, like, snarling and growling, and my dogs are not aggressive um, unless someone is – someone – they feel off about is in my home mm-hmm. um and we don't generally have company over a lot just because i don't really like people mm-hmm. so my dogs are not super aggressive unless they have to be and they were all freaking the fuck out like teeth bearing fur standing up on their backs and when i sat up i seen what looked like something go out of our bedroom door and like swoop around the corner and around the corner is the room I record in. <laughs> mm. So that kind of freaked me out. Today is actually the first time I've spent a significant amount of time in this room. I normally get ready in here, but every time I would walk in, the energy was just super heavy and it gave me a headache. And a book just fell off my table and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, so that's what I heard. Okay. Oh my God. I don't even know how it fell, but it definitely scared the shit out of me. Oh boy! Sorry, I'm laughing so I don't cry. Okay, that's I get it. I'm right there with you, honestly. Oh my god. Okay, so anyway, um, yesterday was a horrible day. It was. You told me about it. Oh my god. Okay, let's tell the world. So I had a hole in my coolant tank for my car. Just like this long list of stuff. I have this really ugly burn on my arm from a garlic bread incident. And I thought I was going to be super fancy. And one of my really, really good friends had never had like chicken parm before. Oh, it's so good. I made homemade chicken parm. And duh, you have to have garlic bread with that. Yes. So I burned the shit out of myself on that pan. Um, we played tactical laser tag, which was the most fun I've had in a long time, but I fucked up my ankle Mm -hmm. and it was just like thing after thing after thing. Okay. So yesterday was my grandpa's birthday. So we went to his house and had lunch with him. Well, because we couldn't drive my car, we had to drive my boyfriend's truck and it's like a 94. (laughs) It's super old. It starts pouring down rain. So we both get soaked and we're going from my grandparents' house back towards, we live in the city. They live way out in the country. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. I know you've told me how you managed to get soaked. Why did you get soaked when you were in a truck? (sighs) Because his truck leaks. (laughs) 
Does it so does it leak from like through the roof or is it through like the seal the sealed parts of the door or where does it's it leak from? See all of the seals are like dry rotted at this point. Ugh. So it leaks from the door, it leaks from the windshield and it the windshield in his truck is really tall. So it goes like if I lean forward, it's over my head. And <laughs> when you're driving, the water light comes backwards. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So I was soaked. He was soaked. I was pissed. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're leaving from their side of town, coming to our side of town, and there's this really sharp curve called Dead Man's Curve, and I'm pretty sure that's in every city stereotypical mm-hmm. super sharp curve. And as we're going around it. No matter how familiar you are with that area, especially when it's raining, you have to slow down to like 30. Now, you can go 70 down all the other roads, but that curve is so bad and you can't see any traffic. Mm -hmm. So, he goes to press the brake and I watch his feet because I'm like, I feel like we're going really fast. The gas pedal touches the floor. And when I tell you I nearly shit myself because his truck took the fuck off right in the center of this curve he had to like put both feet on the brake pedal and push as hard as he could and then the gas pedal finally like let go so like the gas pedal pressed down and then locked itself somehow but see what's weird is he had taken his foot off of the gas to press the brake so his foot was not on the gas it wasn't like he put pressure on it and it stuck Uh it pushed down on its own and stuck uh yikes yeah so he had to like slam on brakes and when he did that his truck kind of slid a little bit it Uh didn't slide bad or anything but as soon as we both like look up and look at each other there's this truck that is coming into our lane because it was trying to pass the car in front of them so if he wouldn't have been able to step on the brake when he did we would have hit them head on going like 65 I hate all of that, and I'm so glad you guys are okay. I was literally, like, I was so scared. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe because I was like, first of all, how the fuck did that even happen? That's not a malfunction that normally happens. If your gas pedal sticks, it's normally when your foot is on it or you put pressure on it or something. Yeah. He had taken all pressure off of that pedal. So yikes! That, that freaked me. The that hell sounds out. like a haunting. Yeah, super dangerous one in his truck. I mean, it runs and you know it gets him from A to B or whatever, but it's from 1994, and it's super old and just not in the best condition and now stuff like that is happening so every day when he leaves for work i make him call or text me as soon as he gets there because if it happened once what's stopping it from happening again yeah totally he sounds like he needs to get a new vehicle is what i'm Uh, hearing yeah that's what we're currently working on but um so we get home last night and we're sitting in the living room and Um, just talking or whatever and he gets up and goes to the kitchen and gets donuts that I got from this wonderful bakery that I will take you to if you ever visit okay and as soon as he comes through the door and just to give a little bit of an idea the carpet in my living room is super thick so you kind of have to like shove the door to close it I have my house was built in the 60s so there's a room there's a door to every single room Mm mm-hmm 
so he goes and he sits down, and as soon as he sits down, the door slams shut. Mm. Yeah, so everything's picking up here, and it's really, really starting to bother me. It used to not bother me at all. I would just, you know, don't let me see you. I don't want to hear you. If you're here, you're here. Just leave me alone. But now it's like an everyday thing, so I'm getting a little over it. But anyway, (laughs) I definitely burned some sage in here and opened my windows before I started recording. So it feels a little better in here. Still a little heavy, but not as bad. And with all of that craziness going on, what are your CTKs? Um, nothing like that. (laughs) Uh, I got, I don't know if you saw it. I posted in the Facebook group. I got my first fan gift. Yes, super cute. Yeah, so Leo from Australia who has her own podcast that's really really good. It's called That True Crime That True Crime Podcast. Um she actually sent me like this really cute mug that has a purple cat on it with the little crescent on her forehead and then it says Cats and Crystals, that's all I need, which if you know me, accurate as fuck. <laughs> Um, so that just kind of, like, made my week. I also got Dance Dance Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Because I need to kick my ass into gear and just start taking care of myself. And I find exercise to be extremely boring. Same. (laughs) Yeah, so I went and I dug out my old PS2 and I ordered some dance pads and so now i've been playing dance dance revolution once a day um so yeah that's that's been really fun uh i actually oh my god so i played i played dance dance revolution with luke for the first time last night because i got two dance pads obviously (laughs) and it was hilarious (laughs) like I love him to tears, but he does not know how to, like, center his body and then just press a button. So he was, like, heavy footing the buttons every single time. And so his dance pad was just sliding everywhere. (laughs) And it was really funny. And because we were in, like, a close space, I was just waiting for him to accidentally, like, hit me in the face or something. Um, he didn't, thankfully. Wow. <laughs> so there's that. And then the only real negative one I have this week is so I, I've i recently been trying to, like, track down movies from my childhood that I, like, remember really loving. And so one of them is called Gold Digger the, or Gold Digger's The Secret of Bear Mountain. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, not a lot of people know of this movie, and it baffles me because, like, Christina Ritchie is in it, and it's actually a really good movie. But my mind blocked out, like, the horrifying, traumatic part of this movie, which, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, there's one of the main characters, Jody. Her mom starts dating this guy. And he ends up being, like, crazy abusive. And it's all about, like, nobody believes Jody. She's just this troublemaker with a bad attitude. And, like, so Jody has no friends and is constantly just running off to the woods and some cave to, like, 
be away from this guy. And so I didn't remember that part of it. And with my, like, and it just upsets me so much because that was my, after I got past the Disney princess phase at like age six, that was my favorite movie. And I would watch it five times a week and had any grown fucking adult ask me, hey, what's your favorite movie? And then watched it. They probably would have been like, yeah, there's probably something wrong there because the movie basically ends with Jody ends up saving her mom from this guy and is freed of that. And then everything turns out okay. But I was watching this and like internally just breaking down because I'm like, holy shit. I remember what I was thinking when I was watching this, which was maybe I can save my mom and maybe someone will see that my dad's not a great person and I'll be okay. And it's just like, it's such a good movie and I still love it, but it was traumatizing. Uh, yeah, definitely sounds traumatizing, <laughs> especially for a six-year-old, but okay. But no, I mean, as an adult now, it's, re-tra- like, it's re-traumatizing to watch it and just know where my headspace was as a kid. But like... Yeah. As a kid watching the movie, I don't think it was that traumatic. I just remember thinking like, look, I could do it. I could save us and everything will be okay. So it was like it was actually like an inspiring movie as a kid, but to watch it now as an adult and like think about what I was thinking when I was watching it as a kid, that is traumatic as fuck and kind of horrifying. Yeah. Um <laughs> huh, yeah, so that that was my week. Um, we did take a break, and that was really helpful. It allowed me to kind of just like recenter and give myself some time. <laughs> yeah, definitely time to just kind of clear our headspace. And yeah. Yeah, that was it like, was <laughs> that was like my first full week like break since the loss of both of my grandparents so it was very very helpful to not have to suppress all of the feelings I've been feeling and be able to actually process some of them so thank you guys for understanding obviously um we do this for you for us as well obviously but we couldn't do it without you so thank you yes Thank you very much. Yeah, we don't say thank you enough, I feel like. So just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love and appreciate all of you, and this has been so fun. It has been. (laughs) Yeah, so I think we are – Katie, do you have anything else you wanted to say? I don't think so. All right, so we are going to wrap this up. Um, If you would like, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at (laughs) – CTK Pod. You can join our Facebook group at CTK Podcast. You can also send us mail to 520 North Ventu Park Road, number 273, Newberry Park, California. And I completely forgot the zip code because I'm special. <laughs> I have the whole thing memorized except for that. So, you know, get in there. Good job. Yay. Thank you. I've been trying. Uh, The zip code would be 91320. Okay. 
sounds good. You can also send us any listener stories to chills, thrills, and kills at gmail.com. Yes, please, please, please do. Uh, we will. We unfortunately couldn't do one this week because we didn't get enough stories. So, or this month. So, hopefully, the first of next month, we will have one. Um, and then finally, if you really like what we do and you want to get more or get ad-free episodes or just interact with us a little bit more, you can support us at patreon.com slash ctkpod. And we would really appreciate it. <laughs> very, very much so. All right. Well, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.